we are thankful that he has the power not only to, to show up, but to have an impact, to move in our lives. And uh, I've, I've noticed in my life that when I'm being faithful to God, now I know it's probably a surprise to you that every once in a while I'm not as faithful as I ought to be. Sometimes I fall short. I am a sinner. I'm saved by God, by the grace of God, through the mercy of God. And uh, even though I'm saved, I'm still a sinner. All saints are sinners. Not all sinners are saints, but all saints are sinners. But when I'm being faithful to God, when I'm really you know, putting forth the effort to, to be a disciplined Christian, to, to live a life that brings glory and honor to God, then I, I realize really just how tangible, how real He makes Himself. What I want to talk to you about for the remainder of our time this morning, I titled it The Root and the Fruit of a Disciplined Church. The Root and the Fruit of a Disciplined Church. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. And I'm also going to read to you uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through uh, 6. While you're looking up that Romans, I'm going to go ahead and read to you John chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. And it says this, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Hmm, boy, wouldn't that be good if we just did not sin. If we could live a life that was absolutely sinlessly perfect. But I'll tell you what, as long as we're doing what I was talking about a while ago, putting forth the effort to be holy, to be sanctified, to be separated, to live the life God has called us to live, then when God looks down at us, He doesn't see our sin, He sees the blood of Christ. For if we confess our sin and repent of our sin, then He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I'm being disciplined in my Christian walk, then God looks at me through that blood filter and it is as though I were sinless. Now, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man have sin, or if any man sin, which we all do, since any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sin of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought he himself also to walk, even as he, Christ, walked." So the only way that we can know that we know Him, the only way that we can know that we are a child of God is because we put forth the effort to live the life that God has called us to live. We are being diligent in our Christian walk. We are being disciplined in our Christian walk. Now if you look at Romans chapter 12, we're just going to read the first four verses. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, 
to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Let's pray. Father, again, we love You. We thank You so much for Your love and mercy. God, we thank You for each member that is a part of this body of Christ. God, we all have a job to do. We all have a ministry that has been appointed to to us by You. God, how I pray that You'll move in our hearts and help us, God, to become disciplined. A disciplined church has disciplined individuals, disciplined people that are a part of that body. God, help us individually to move in a way that would bring glory and honor to You, that would strengthen this body, that we might live a life that brings glory to You. And we'll praise You for that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You know, I know that we're in a decline in the church age here in America. The Bible tells us that in the last days, there's going to be a falling away. And we see that time happening right now. We see a great falling away from the faith. You say, well, there are a lot of churches that are multiplying and growing and and doing well. And and then there are other churches that are are not doing so well. And I'm not talking about really the size of churches. But what I'm talking about is is the doctrine that is being taught in the church. That is what the Bible is talking about when there's going to be a great falling away. There's a a real good, feel-good gospel that is being preached from behind the pulpits, not only around America, but really around the world, that teaches you that you can live any old way that you want to. You don't have to be disciplined in your walk or in your talk. You don't have to study the Word of God and hide it in your heart that you might not sin against God. You don't have to really live a life of holiness to be a good Christian. Uh, Certainly God loves you no matter who you are or where you are. We're all the children of God is one of the things that are going around. It's not just the people that are part of the body of Christ, but really every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. We are all created in the image of God and therefore we are all children of God. And may I say that that is stinking thinking. Not everybody is a child of God and certainly not everybody is walking and living a life that is pleasing to God. I don't believe that the day of the church is over. Even though we are in a strong decline, I believe that the church belongs to Christ. He is the head of the church. And the church is the body of Christ. And Christ, of course, is the head over the church. And it's impossible. The church shall not pass away. Uh, The gates of hell, the Bible says, shall not prevail against the body of Christ or against The church, Christ, is the life of the church. And the church, by the way, is the life of Christ. And that life can be renewed by Him. In other words, even though there is a falling away, even though there is a a type of dying down of the church, the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us can renew that life and build it back up. The church, though, has to choose its direction. We've got to make up our mind as to who we're going to follow. Are we going to be faithful to the Word of God, to the house of God, to the people of God, to the doctrines of God, to the things of God? Certainly, we have to make the decision. The mold of the world uh, wants to take us away from the mold, the image 
of Christ. And we've got to make a decision as to whether we're going to be molded by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, by the people of God, the things of God, or whether we're going to be molded by the things of the flesh and the things of the world. When the church yields to the mind of God and His plan, I want you to realize that that is when revival, that is when renewal, spiritual renewal takes place in a church. I know that in America with this pandemic, with the COVID virus, with all the things that have taken place in the last year, 2020, boy, what a horrid year that was in so many people's lives. It was horrible as far as the loss of life. We've lost friends. We've lost loved ones. We still have friends and loved ones that are, are going through a battle right now. They're on on uh, breathing machines. They're, they're in hospitals and families can't come in and visit with them. All of those things are, are taking a toll on our homes, our families, our lives. It's taking a toll on our church as well. You know, half of the church is on the inside, half of the church is on the other side, on the outside in the parking lot. And we understand that. We're not holding anything against anybody, even those that are listening in on Facebook. We are thankful that people are still finding ways to be faithful to God, to come to the house of God. But there's a lot of people that are are falling away. They're, They're not coming inside. They're not coming outside. They're not watching on Facebook or, or any other media, they have just taken the opportunity to say, well, you know, God understands. And they, they don't have that discipline, that holy discipline in their lives to live the life of faithfulness to Christ when the things get tough, when the going gets tough. Well, there are some things here in these verses that I would like us to take a look at. That prayer to renew my church is a prayer to renew my walk. You see, it's not uh, people. People have a picture or a vision of the church of this this organization, but the church is not so much an organization as it is an organism. It is a living, breathing organism with the blood of Jesus Christ pumping through the veins of that organism. And each part of that organism is the body of Christ. I'm a part. You're a part. We're all a part. But there are some people who are saying, well, you know, it really doesn't matter whether I go to church, whether I'm faithful to the house of God, the people of God, the Word of God, or not. And they have fallen away. My friend, a renewed walk requires a disciplined walk. And I want you to notice two aspects here in these verses. Uh, Number one, remember what I told you, the title of the message was the root and the fruit of a disciplined church. So first, we're going to be looking at the root of a disciplined life because the church is made up of many members and all of us together as individual members make up one body of Christ. But we've got to take it individually. I can't look at you and say, boy, is that person, they're they're not being a very disciplined Christian in their life, the only one that I have any control, real control over is my own life. And that is true for every individual in this church building right now. All of us together, we make up the body of Christ. But my friend, until you get your own body in control and bring it under subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then the church will continue to stagnate. 
the church will continue to go in a downward spiral. So I want you to take a look at a few of these verses. We'll look back at Romans 12 and verse 1. And we see that uh, this disciplined life is a life of sacrifice. Verse 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A sacrifice. Now when you, I know, I know usually when you hear that word sacrifice in a church from a guy standing behind the pulpit, excuse me, just a second. You immediately turn off the radio, amen? You, you, you know, you done lost me now. If you're talking about sacrifice, if you're talking about the blessings of God and God pouring out a blessing coming into my heart, into my home, into my family, into my life, into my business, and that He's going to reach and touch and heal and, and bring, you know, blessings to my life, then, then wonderful. But if you're, if you're going to preach to me about pouring out my life on the altar of sacrifice and that us becoming a living, you do realize that Christ was a dead sacrifice. He went to the cross. He shed His blood. He died. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, if God was willing to sacrifice His own Son on an altar to shed His blood and to die for us, and He asked us not to die for Him, but to live for Him. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Boy, what would you do if God were to ask us to crawl up on a literal cross? Now certainly, Paul says, I die daily. And that we are, I preached this last week, that the cross is an instrument of death that Christ died on. For us to come to the cross or to bear our cross is to literally nail our sin to that cross and have God live His life on the inside of us. But my friend, it is a sacrificial life that we are living. We have got to turn away from the world, the things of the world. The words living sacrifice bring our thoughts to the Old Testament and the sacrificial system where they would take these lambs and goats and bulls and bullocks and all of these things and they would offer them as a sacrifice. But the priest would present a sacrificial animal as an offering to God on the altar. Today we're not required to have animal sacrifices. We're supposed to bring our lives as a sacrifice to the glory and honor of God. But I'll tell you what, most people, you know, I'll, I'll give you my dollar, I'll give you my time, I'll give you my talent, but don't ask me to really sacrifice my life. My life is my life and I'm going to live it for me. I'm going to do it the way I want to. Do you realize that we are priests to God? That's what the Bible calls the children of God, the body of Christ, those that have confess Christ as their Lord and Savior and turned away from the world and away from sin. We are the priest to God. Jesus Christ is our altar and our lives are the sacrifice. Have you ever built an altar to the Lord and laid yourself on that altar and offered yourself as a sacrifice to God? I'll guarantee you if you do that daily, it'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you live, the way you act. If you'll realize that, hey God, I am the lamb. I am the bullock. I am the goat. I am the sacrifice. And I offer you me to you as a living sacrifice. I, Paul says, I die, but I die daily. Every day I wake up from that spiritual death and I start living a life 
of sin again. So therefore, I've got to sacrifice this flesh. I've got to sacrifice myself on a daily basis. Jesus Christ went to the cross once. He died for all. He died once and for all, for all of those who would come to Him in faith. But we have to die daily. Why? Because, well, first of all, we're not God. We're not a sinless sacrifice. We are a sinful sacrifice. And we offer ourselves to Him daily. But we all realize that it's this disciplined life that we as Christians live is not only a life of sacrifice, but it is a disciplined life of soberness. Now, when I'm talking soberness, where it says that in verse uh, 3, you look at what it says there. It says, verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, more highly than we ought to think. What does that mean? Well, that I'm okay. I'm good. I'm all right. My friend, none of us are okay. We might have the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed us from our sins. We might know that we know that we know we have a place in heaven. But as long as we're here on this earth, we are still sinful human beings. There is no place in this life that we can come to a place of rest, to a, to a place of satisfaction, that I'm, I'm satisfied with who I am and, and where I am and, and living my life for God. I go to church, I give my tithes, I, I read the Bible, I say my prayers. Isn't that enough? No. No, 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 it's not. The Bible says you have not strived against sin unto death. Now, that's a very strong statement. But I believe that God holds our feet to a very hot fire. You do realize that our example is the sinless, perfect life of Christ. That He lived a sinless, perfect life and then went to the cross and shed His blood for a people who spit in His face and hung Him on a cross and murdered Him. He died for us who were yet in our sins and trespasses. How much more should we be willing to sacrifice ourselves, sinners, for the holy, glorious, sinless Son of God? If He died for us, shouldn't we be able or be willing to lay down our lives for the glory of Him? For I say through the grace given unto me to every man, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now that word soberly has nothing to do with alcohol or intoxicating beverages or drugs. It has to do with just plain old solid right thinking. That I don't think more highly of myself, but that I think rightly about who I am. That I come to the realization that I'm really not who I think I am. Do you, do you realize that you're not who you think you are? You are you are what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. For out of the heart proceed the issues of life. It's the heart of the matter. And I say that all the time. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And as you think, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You're not what you think you are. You are what you think. Where do you spend your mind? Do you spend your mind in worldly things? In worldliness? Godless things? That have bring no glory and honor to God? Or are you literally bringing your heart and your mind and your life into subjection? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 27 says this, But I keep under my body. In other words, I bring my body under, 
bringing it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. My friend, everybody in this room, I know I'm the pastor of this church. I realize that I'm the chaplain out at the prison. I'm the minister, right? Well, I'm not the only minister in the room. I'm the only pastor. I'm the only preacher. Well, no, I'm the only pastor. I'm the only chaplain. But I'm not the only minister. I'm not the only preacher. You are preaching to the people around you with every activity you do, every word that you say, every place that you go, every television show that you listen to, every piece of music that you listen to. All of those things are us preaching and teaching our lives to the world around us. And God has told us so clearly that if you are my children, come out from among them. Be ye separate. Be disciplined in the way that you walk and talk and live your life. That others, when they look at you, they don't see you. They see Christ and they're drawn to Him. But you see, when we go around claiming Christ as our Savior, proclaiming that we are Christians, and then they see us living like the devil or like the world, then we are repulsive to people. If that's Christianity, I don't need that. I don't don't want that in my life. I don't want to be a hypocrite. My friend, how many of us like to be called a hypocrite or hypocritical? Boy, that makes me cringe to think about that. God has called us not to think more righteously of ourselves, highly of ourselves, because when we do that, that makes us Hypocritical. Because if we think that we're all that when we're really all this, and the world is looking and taking note of who we really are, don't you understand that God looks and takes note of who we really are? Not in what we feel in our hearts, but what we think in our minds and what we do, places we go in our lives. A disciplined life is a life of sacrifice. A disciplined life is... a A life that thinks soberly, clearly, earnestly, and honestly about who we really are. But a disciplined life is also a life of service. You look at verse 4, and it said this, For we have many members in one body. This church, if you are a member of Lake St. John, Community Baptist Church, if you have your names written on the roll book here, Now, by the way, you don't have to have your name written on the roll books here to be a Christian. You can have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and be a member of some other body of Christ. But my friend, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven, then your name should be written on some roll book on earth. Because God commands us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. That is not a request. It's not optional to be a part of the body physical, local, New Testament body of Christ. Now the universal body of Christ is when you bend the knee, bow your head, surrender your heart, your life, everything that you are to everything that He is. He forgives you of your sin and comes to live on the inside of you and you become a child of God. You become a part of the bride of Christ, the church. There are some people who have claimed to do that but have never joined a local New Testament church in their lives. I'm afraid they're deceiving themselves. But the Bible says that we should live a life of service. And this church, do you understand, is a place to serve. 
God has called us to be a part of not the universal body of Christ, but the local New Testament body of believers that we might come in, be fed, be taught, learn, understand what the Word of God, what the God of the Word demands from our life, that we may go out into the world and serve the risen Savior by living the life in front of a lost and dying world of what it means to really be a disciplined Christian. To let them know that there is a God in heaven that has a demand, a design on their life. All members have not the same office. But my friend, I want you to understand something. All members have an office. might not be the same office. You might not have my job. I don't have your job. But we all have a job to do for Christ. A life to live for him, God has called all to service. And by the way, not only has He called us, but He has equipped each one for the job that is specially designed just for you. I don't have the talent. I don't have the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you to do your job. You don't have the talent or the gift of the Spirit that God has endowed in me to do what He has called me to do. But my friend, have you even found out the gifts that God has given you? Are you searching through the Scriptures to find out what it is that God has done in your heart other than just wash away your sins, to save your wretched soul, to reserve a place in heaven for you? But what about while I'm still here, while I'm still on this earth, while I'm still living this life? Am I just to live this life for my own satisfaction? Or am I to live this life for the glory and honor of God? And if so, how can I do that? If I don't know what it is that God has called me to do. It is a life of service. Secondly, we not only see the root. The root of the disciplined life. You see the root of the disciplined life is a life of sacrifice, sobriety, and service. That is God in you. Causing you. But here's here's the fruit. Here is the fruit of a disciplined life. That God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, produces in you. And you you know the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's nine flavors of one fruit. It's not your fruit. It's not what you do. But it's the fruit of the Spirit that God produces in you. But here are some things that you can produce. These are things that we can do. The roots of a disciplined life will be reflected in the fruit of such a life. Ask yourself these questions. How disciplined are my words? Am I careful about what I allow to fall out of my mouth? Now my wife tells me, and I have told her, uh, this is a mutual statement between the two of us. If you'll shut your mouth, that stuff won't fall out of it. Yeah. Yeah. We try to laugh when the other one says that to us. But uh, sometimes it's stinging. And especially if you say it at the exact right time. Let me say this. That Psalm 19.14 says this. Let the words of my mouth and my meditation and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Do we actually put ourselves under that microscope? You see, it's not my wife telling me, hey, if you'll shut your mouth, that stuff won't fall out of it. Or me telling her, but me bringing my mouth before God and saying, hey, listen, Lord, are you paying attention to what I'm saying? Listen, you don't have to ask Him that. I want to promise you that God is paying attention 
to what you are saying. And therefore, we should discipline ourselves. Remember what it said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I keep under my body. My mouth is part of my body. I bring my mouth under subjection. Lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself now have become a castaway by allowing my mouth to outrun my brain sometimes. Well, Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. James says in, in the book of James chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. Isn't that something? That such a small little member, just a little little bitty piece of, of meat. You know, the Bible only speaks of two types of tongue. The one that's in your mouth and the languages that we speak. The tongue, the language that comes out of our mouth. And sometimes I'm afraid that that one little instrument is more powerful than the rest of the whole body. Have you ever noticed that every muscle that you have in your body, I, I lift weights and I try to stay a little bit in shape for an old man, but I find out that the older that I get, the more my muscles grow weary more quickly. And I give out. But I found out something else. My tongue don't never wear out. Boy, I believe I talk in my sleep. I wake up be preaching to myself in the middle of the night. My tongue just... I believe if I could get it out there, it could curl a hundred pounds all by itself. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful instrument. But see, we're not talking about physically powerful. We're talking about mentally, emotionally. Boy, we can tear people down. We can cut them to ribbons with a tongue. We can unsheath that thing. Draw it out of Make people bleed. Cut them open. How dare they do what they did to me. I'll give them a tongue lashing. Do you understand that we need to realize that our tongue is a fire. It is a world of iniquity. And defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. My friend, I want you to realize something. If there's anything in your life that you need to bring under subjection to the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you, it is your tongue. I'll guarantee you that if God has your mind, if He has your heart, He has your mind. If He has your mind, He'll have your tongue. If He has your tongue, He'll have the rest of the body because the rest of the body is easy to tame compared to the tongue. But not only how disciplined are your words, but how disciplined is your worship. Psalm 104 says this, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Is it, a, is it a cheerful, thankful, happy, glorious, wake up on Sunday morning, can't wait to jump out of bed and get your shower and get dressed and get your Bible and you know polish up your halo and get it set straight on your head and go on down to church and worship the Lord and to fellowship with other believers. How disciplined is our worship. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking. I quoted this a while ago. I get ahead of myself from time to time. But not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some as you see the day approaching. What day approaching? The day of judgment. The day of God's wrath. 
The day that I or you are going to stand before the throne of God, whether it be the Bema seat or the judgment seat, we're going to stand before God and give an account of our life. One of the things that we're going to give an account of is our life of faithfulness to worship, to being faithful to the house of God. Third question you can ask yourself is how disciplined are you in the grace of giving? Now I want you to realize something. I've been pastor here on the lake now for a little over 20 years. I don't think I've ever just preached a message on tithing. I don't do that. But every once in a while, I think that it's only right because it's a part of the Word of God that a preacher preach every doctrine, every every thing in the Bible. Don't, don't sidestep. Don't skip stuff because people don't want... To hear it. And I'm not going to preach very hard on it here and now. But I do have a question. How, how disciplined is your grace of giving? Is, is giving a grace you experience or is it a task that you endure? Is it something that you do begrudgingly and you give as little as you feel like you possibly can get away with? Or is it something that gives you joy? To reach down into your heart and and just give. So I heard one preacher say, "You don't give until it you, you don't give until it hurts. You give until it feels good." Amen. If you give and it hurts, give a little more. If that hurt, then give a little more. Just give until you realize that hey, it don't matter. You see, some people say, "Well, I'm supposed to give a tithe," and they'll take out their their calculator and on their phone, and they'll get it out and they'll say, "Well, I made two hundred thirty eight dollars and fifty three cents in time divided by ten, and put exactly." Listen, that's begrudgingly. You know pretty much where you're at in this world, where your standing is, my friend. God's going to judge our disciplined giving. I am going to give because I love the Lord. I'm not going to give because I have to. I give because God is worthy of everything. You remember the story of Letourneau up in Vicksburg? One of the richest men in the United States. When he was making his wealth, he became a Christian and he learned the law, the uh, commandment of tithing. And he says, whoa, wait a minute. Now let me get this right. I'm supposed to be able to keep 90% of all that the Lord allows me to have and I only have to give back to God 10%? No, that's not right. That's not fair. And Letourneau decided he would reverse that and he started giving God 90% and keeping 10%. Do you know that he became one of the wealthiest men in America by giving a tithe of 90% to the Lord? Instead of ten, and that is a true story. You know the you know the the bottom line to that story is this: that you cannot outgive God. Amen. He will not allow. Now, if you're giving to God out of the wrong heart, see, he did it because he couldn't understand why God was worth less than he was. How can I receive ninety and him receive ten? And he says, "No, I love God more than that." And he gave because he loved. He didn't give because he was expecting back. All of these people on television, you see them on television, plant, you know, plant a seed, reap a harvest. Give me, send my ministry a thousand dollars. God will give you a hundred thousand back. Run from that garbage. That is cons trying to con cons. 
But I'm telling you this, that if you love the Lord, then you're going to want to give what God expects. And then there's even the love offering above that. Not only how disciplined are my words, how disciplined is my worship, how disciplined am I in the grace of giving? Is it an experience, a, a, a glorious experience, or it is something that I endure? Jesus said this, Give, and it shall be given unto you. But lastly, how disciplined are you in your devotional life? What, what, is that, what does that even mean? My devotional life. There is no renewing of the church or of even the individual life apart from a disciplined, devotional life of personal Bible study. You say, well, that's why I come to church. I come here to be taught. Well, do you come to Sunday school? Church service? Sunday night? Wednesday night? Every time the Bible is opened? you're only coming on Sunday morning, you are at the very best malnutrition if you're not having personal, intimate Bible study with the Lord Jesus Christ at your home. Go into your prayer closet. And take your Bible with you. Stay there for more than three minutes to whisper a prayer to God about the things that you want or need. But stay there long enough to study the Word of God even before you pray. Pray about studying the Word of God. Open my heart. Open my mind. Give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Give me light. Help me to see, O oh God, Your will and Your way for my life that I might be pleasing to You. And then shut Your mouth and study the Word of God until you just cannot hardly stand it anymore without talking to God. And then God give God the glory and praise for what He has opened Your mind and Your heart and Your understanding to. Live a life that brings glory to God. More than just an hour on a Sunday morning. You see, it is a life of devotion. It is a life of commitment and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is a life of consistent, consistent prayer. Consistent Bible study. To renew my walk may mean a change in my direction. Who was that that I believe told, was it Charles Haddon Spurgeon when she was walking out the back door of his church? She said, you were petting the cat in the wrong direction today, sir. In other words, he had ruffled her feathers. When you pet a cat in the wrong direction, they don't like it. Now, you petted the cat in the wrong direction today, sir. And he says, well, madam, maybe you need to change directions. See, sometimes we're just headed in the wrong direction and I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, can only pet in one direction. And if you're not headed the right way, then you are going to have your ruffles feathered. It means a life of fulfillment rather than frustration. See, when, we, when we're not walking the walk, we're just talking the talk. When we're not living the disciplined life, then we become frustrated with the rest of our life. Other things don't go well for a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can live like hell all, all the way till you get there and enjoy every minute of it. Because this is the closest thing you'll ever see to heaven. But I'm thankful that this is the closest thing that I'll ever see to hell. 
And it ain't bad. I'm enjoying my life as a Christian because I love Him. You see, we do what we do because we love Him. I go to church. I'm faithful to God. I read His Word. I hide it in my heart that I might not sin against Him. I'm disciplined in all of these areas of sacrifice and soberly thinking, realizing that I am a sinner and that I need to bring myself under subjection and that I am a servant to the Lord God Almighty. This is the greatest job. This is the greatest ministry that any man can have on the face of the earth. I would not trade this sacred desk for any throne on this planet. My friend, we throw it away when we think less. When we think less of the Lord Jesus Christ than to bring ourselves into absolute discipline, sacrifice for His glory and His honor. He's worth it. There's nothing else, nothing more important, nothing else in your life that should gain your time, that could gain your attention, gain your heart, gain your commitment more than Him. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us. God, we, we thank You, God, that You are here right now with us. God, I, I feel Your presence. I feel You in my heart. I feel You in this room. We thank You for that. We ask, O oh God, that You'll move in our hearts and in our lives, our homes, our families. God, in this church, in our nation, we need You so desperately. God, I understand that there is a falling away. A falling away, not so much of numbers, though that is true as well. But God, a falling away of just, just faithfulness, just committed discipline of our lives to Your Lordship. Help us, O oh God, to confess, to repent, to turn away from sin. And to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. And we'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.